The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 39 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem, and hopefully solve the correct problem correctly as well, but we'll see. We have an unusually wonderful episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts, you, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, please drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part, we still have a few remaining questions from our Facebook page that have backed up over the last N episodes. I think N is about seven or eight. And we're just going to read them, warts and all. And we may get through the last of them today. I don't know. We'll see, as my mom always liked to say. After the you part comes part two, the them part, where we each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. We are honored today to have as our guest Susan Carty, past president of the Pennsylvania League of Women Voters, currently serving on the League's national board in Washington, D.C. After the them part comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. Today is something I've been meaning to focus on for quite a while, Pennsylvania's horrendous ballot access laws. And throughout our show, as is our long-established custom, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as a narrator to read our live commercials. Today we have Kevin Keita, a member of the Trenton State Prison, Prince, Trenton, I can talk, Trenton State Prison Toastmasters Gavel Club. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Kevin. Thank you. Am I pronouncing your name last name correctly? Yes. There you go. Perfect. Let me ask you, what do you like about Toastmasters? It's a very affordable way of improving your public speaking skills. Mm-hmm. Certainly improved my leadership skills, too. Surprising stuff. Well, welcome. Glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. We also have a second Toastmaster with us today, according to another one of our customs to help us read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join in on the discussions with our guest. It's a role that we call cohort. And today's cohort is no stranger to the Pennsylvania Project. She was our narrator in episode 21, a member of Positively Charged Toastmasters at Philadelphia Electric, and the person responsible for instigating the role of cohort on the Pennsylvania Project, way back in episode 22, distinguished Toastmaster Karen Flam. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Karen. Great to be here, Ken. So how does it feel to be responsible for the cohort role? I think it's great. I feel like I'm channeling my inner Robin Quiver. (laughs) Just don't (laughs) quiver over it. I don't know if you've been listening. Is the role unfolding the way you hoped? I think it's great. I I love the show, and it's it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you here, too, especially at such a qualified Toastmaster. You are the reigning champ of impromptu speaking right now. 
I am. I competed last year in table topics, which is where you're given a random question to answer, Mm -hmm. and you have one to two minutes to answer the question. And you had an easy question. What was your favorite vacation spot or something like that? If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Uh I had that question, and I said, which world are you talking about? (laughs) Talking about Mars? Maybe. And I went off on a tangent. Yeah, sometimes the questions are really esoteric, but usually they're pretty general. Mm-hmm. You lucked out. And you did a great job, too. Thank you. Well, as I said at the top of the show, the questions have been piling up on our Facebook page, and we've been trying to take the time to answer them. We got through some of them in episode 37, more in episode 38, and we're going to get more here in 39. I don't know if we'll be able to squeeze them all in, but I bet we don't. We'll see. The topic on our Facebook page is short and not so sweet. What bothers you about Pennsylvania? In response, here's the list of things people said. And we'll take them in the order they're submitted. Karen, would you please take the lead and give me a couple? Gary D. Duzen says, state alcohol monopoly. And Jaroslav Bodka says, state monopoly on liquor. Sensing a theme here because (laughs) Jane Hoppy wrote in and said, need to get rid of the liquor control board. And I have to admit, I did group those together because... I didn't want to answer each one separately. I'm tired of listening to me, right? Anyway, after corruption, Liquor Control Board is the most frequently asked Facebook question. And I talked about eliminating Liquor Control Board back in episode 25, and I got a spirited reaction from a PLCB employee named Chris. PLCB is the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board. He was out to solve the problem correctly, but then took strong exception to my solving the correct problem instead. So the correct problem to be solved was getting government out of the private sector where it does not belong, my opinion, my libertarian opinion. Because when it comes to the PLCB, the correct solution is ending the state's monopoly on alcohol sales. Because we all know monopolies are bad. I don't know why we even tolerate one for alcohol. Our restrictions here are badly outdated. We should be able to sell it in any kind of outlet at all, not just Wegmans or supermarkets. Anybody should be able to sell any kind of alcohol. You should have liquor stores, not just these wine and spirits things. I think we're the only state left in America that still has such a communistic model. And it's it's not a new idea. It's been around for a while. A lot of people have tried to end it. Of course, it never worked, obviously. It's politics as usual that prevent it. And pressure from store, store clerks, union members, like people like Chris, I was just talking about. But it would be a good idea to end that monopoly because once we sell the state stores, well, first of all, we get a big one-time cash infusion. I have no idea what the state stores would be worth. Billions, I would guess. And then all of a sudden, there'd be a big boom in the number of opportunities available for the private sector. The best of the current employees would have little trouble with the transition, but the worst would possibly need to seek out new employment. I don't know, probably. But the quality of service in the alcohol industry would improve overall. That's how capitalism works. That's why it's better than socialism, especially this kind of socialism that we have now. Because everything's pulled together into Pennsylvania, we are now the sixth largest consumer of alcohol on the planet. There's a few others. I won't go into those. But with all that clout, sixth largest, you think it would be cheaper here, but it's not. We all know Delaware is famously cheaper. Even the police state in New Jersey has less expensive wines and a wider selection. And the place I go to for my wines, they have a 20% discount. You can't find a 20% discount at the Pennsylvania liquor stores. Hmm. So it's a monopoly. Like any monopoly, costs are high. Choices are lower. Quality of service is not always there. 
Like, for example, what other alcohol vendor is closed on Labor Day or Memorial Day or the 4th of July, right? Independence Day. Oh, we're closed. You can't come by. And what do you mean? I need a beer. Cut me a break. Ironic. So who's this monopoly benefiting? Well, not we, the customers. So I guess, I don't know. Probably people who work there, people like Chris. As I, when I said this in response way back to Chris's original question, he came back. He said, oh, basically, you're saying I don't really, that you don't really care what happens to the employees of the PLCB. That's a shame. The private sector will not pay the wages that we make now. They will not give us the great benefits provided by the state either. That's a direct quote. I got a chuckle out of that because what I told him is he has to ask himself a few questions. Why won't the private sector pay him the wage he's making now? Maybe he's not worth it. I don't know. Why won't they give him the great benefits if he's in the private sector? I won't say he's overpaid. I don't know what he's getting paid or not. But maybe it's all at the expense of us alcohol drinkers. I don't know. Is that, com- is that communistic monopoly? Because we have no other choice except, of course, to shop outside the state. But there happens to be a law against that. So not only does the state give the PLCB the total monopoly... They also use the power of government to keep the competition down. But, you know, I disagree with Chris because I don't think it's true that PLCB employees wouldn't make the same money. I think they'd make better money because as a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. So if we privatize the liquor stores, that would provide a great opportunity for the existing PLCB employees. They already know the business. They have a golden opportunity to monopolize that, to make much more than they, they do today, get better benefits by being part of that privatization. Can you imagine spearheading the transition to a free market economy? Wow, you'd be a pioneer, capitalistic pioneer. So you see, Chris, I do care about the PLCB employees, at least the competent ones. I also care about we the shoppers, about getting better service, better options, better prices. But I'm not going to sacrifice the general welfare of us alcohol drinkers just to support a communistic monopoly and overpaid workers. Because if I did, I keep banging the microphone. <laughs> if I did that, I would wind up helping Peter at the expense of Paul. And people might start calling me a politician. <laughs> and Kenny, don't play that. <laughs> and the monopoly. Do it today. Well, that leads us to our next question, the Big Sard Show. What would you consider yourself, conservative, liberal, libertarian? Well, libertarian, Sarge. Unashamedly, unflinchingly, and unapologetically libertarian. As I just said, that means I think you have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others. The golden rule on a political level. It's a great softball question, Chris. I mean, I get this all the time. You know, one thing I like about being a libertarian is that one simple definition, your life, your way, as long as you respect others. I would challenge anyone to define a conservative or liberal with a single concise sentence, one that every conservative or liberal would agree with, because every libertarian would agree with what I say. Conservative, liberal, one sentence, can't be done. At least I've never heard it. If anybody knows if they can do it in one sentence, let me know. But, you know, let let me step outside of the Pennsylvania for a moment. I don't usually do this. But what definition of a conservative would join Donald Trump with the rest of the Republican Party? I have no idea. What definition of liberal would join Bernie Sanders with the rest of the Democratic Party? I don't know of one. 
You know, it's funny. Here in Pennsylvania, Democrats and Republicans are kind of funny because most of the Democrats are strong supporters of gun rights in Pennsylvania. But is that true of Democrats in general? No. <laughs> You're, she's shaking her head. I, I'm I, shaking my I, head. I can't hear the rattle. <laughs> most of the Republicans embrace that communistic model of the PLCB. But is that true of Republicans in general to, sort, to support government interference in private business? No, they don't do that either. Yeah, they would call themselves liberals and conservatives. We've reached the point where those two words are essentially meaningless because we can't come up with that definition. That's why we libertarians are different from the two old parties. We are the party of principle. Every law we support, every law we oppose can be traced back to that single principle. Your life, your way, as long as you respect others. You know, it's funny. I've run for governor three times now. I ran against Tom Ridge in 1998, Ed Rendell in 2002, Tom Wolf in 2018. And over the years, I've addressed literally thousands of voters. And I always like to ask them my signature question. I'll say, how many of you believe you have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others? Karen, virtually every hand in the room goes up. I would imagine. That's because deep down, we are all libertarian at the base level. And it boggles the mind, as Irv Homer would say, that more people don't vote that way. I mean, why would you believe one thing and vote another way? Don't get me started on the whole primary election system. Ah, we had that. We talked about the primary elections in episode 29, the mail-in question came, and also in episode 5, way, way back in the beginning. We had a guest talking about that. Well, anyway, the day is coming. Over the years, I've watched the ranks of the libertarians grow from a few thousand Pennsylvanians when I first joined the party in the 90s to almost 50,000 today. And we're still growing, especially among the younger voters. We libertarians are the definitely, definitely the future. We are currently the third largest political party, hands down, outnumbering all the other third parties put together, whether it's in terms of registered voters, elected officials, media coverage, on and on. You know, I, I'm going to segue off of Sarge's question. I, I took a look at Sarge himself because he signed himself as the Big Sarge Show. Turns out he's a podcaster. Interesting. TheBigSargeShow.com. Free commercial, Sarge. According to the website, his mission is, quote, to provide you with the truth and the facts that the lamestream media will not. Our show is not biased to one end of the spectrum or another. We live up to our motto of surviving attacks from both the left and the right daily. We are the Big Sarge Show, and we are the equal opportunity destroyers of internet radio. Quote, unquote. When he says the show isn't biased from one end of the spectrum to another, and I think he had a misspelling in there. <laughs> Last episode, somebody asked me to talk about grammatical issues. Well, here's a grammatical issue right there. Anyway, it tells me he's one of these two-dimensional political thinkers because the spectrum is not a spectrum. It's not a line. It's actually a diamond. And I talked about this, oh, a while ago in episode 17 Again, episode 32, you could check out those episodes, but I would instead tell you to go visit the Advocates for Self-Government at theadvocates.org and take their world's smallest political quiz. It has that diamond. You can find out where you lie, whether it's on the left part point of the diamond, the right point of the diamond, 
down the bottom of the diamond with all the dictators or at the top with us libertarians? Maybe we'll get Sarge on the show someday. You'll see. To quote well, my that mom. wraps up our mailbag for today. It's going to have to. On that quizzical note, that's going to do it for the you portion of episode 39. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, past president of the Pennsylvania League of Women Voters, Susan Carty. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves as the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we change those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website at PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your names to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution and people wonder why no one votes anymore. Indeed. 
sign of our times, I guess. Hey, Ken Crawchalk here, and welcome to the Them portion of episode 39 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today is a nice mix of the political and the cultural. She's Susan Carty of the League of Women Voters, past president of the Pennsylvania League as well, three terms as their president. She currently serves on the board of the National League of Women Voters in Washington, D.C., and incidentally, the league is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. Yes, it is. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Susan. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. And happy anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Boy, oh boy. I, you know, you've got to be probably the most prominent guest we've had on the show. It's, well, it's an honor I, to have yes, you here. Thank you. That's very kind to say that. <laughs> uh, and it's true as well. Kindness is not always true. This time it is. Mm. So let's start at the very top. For people who aren't familiar with the legal men voters, there may be somebody living under a rock for the last hundred years. Can you just give us a, a quick one one sentence, uh, five sentence rundown. One sentence is our, our our role in the world today is to help uh, women and men, all voters, all types of voters, uh, find ways to learn more about their uh, candidates and offer uh, opportunities for the candidates to say who they are in a free and fair environment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's one of the big reasons i wanted to have you on here because yeah. you guys you girls yeah. <laughs> i'm from philly i call everybody guys mm -hmm. you guys have done wonders for libertarian party over the years my first time on national television was at the league of women voters debate in 1998 with tom ridge ivan itkin peg and peg luxick it was a long time ago. I do remember that. <laughs> and I, I was just blown away. I mean, I was just—I was still a young kid at the time. And, right, right. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity if it wasn't for people like you. And it's critically important to be able to continue doing that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it happened again over and over, one after the other, race after race. And not just big ones like governor. You also did my first state rep race at Penn State Abington. It was held. I remember that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this last year, though, that was a, a bit of a bump in the road. Not, not so much for you guys, but for us libertarians. Uh, it, I'm sure it was, but, it, but each bump uh, gets you a little bit higher up there on that road, and then you just keep, keep going. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because there was a, a debate planned, and you guys, you were originally the sponsors. Right. And what happened? What was the, what was the backstory on that? Oh, the backstory. Well, there are there are backstories and there's backstories. Well, which, which ones would you feel comfortable discussing? <laughs> oh, I, any backstory, really. If I can't feel comfortable, I shouldn't be sitting here, uh, <laughs> really. Um, um, my understanding, as as I was involved uh, initially, was that historically we have involved ourselves with the Channel Six, uh, which does does religiously put on panels for elections and so on in the area. And um, this was a little bit unusual because this time around for governor, there were four people on the ballot for mm -hmm. governor. And um, I think their goal was was to be uh, efficient, let's put it that way. And their feeling was to only include two people that were on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And um, to us and to me personally, that was not acceptable, no not bueno. acceptable for mm -hmm. us. And, and we certainly could not involve ourselves in anything that was based upon an assumption of knowing who will win and who won't win. Mm -hmm. If you're on the ballot, you have a right to be heard and be heard equally. It's music to my ears, Susan. Mm -hmm. Can't agree more. <laughs> yep. So they, so they just didn't want 
the, all the voices up there. Correct. That's correct. That is a shame. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. Yeah. Was too, but I think at the end, um, we were able to succeed in having um, some form of public uh, panel for, yeah. for the two of you, and I was certainly pleased that that could be taken care of. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And for those who didn't hear about it, we had a debate with myself as the Libertarian Party candidate for governor and the green guy. His name escapes me at the moment. Oh, I should know this. I've known him for Whoever a was representing the Green Party. <laughs> the green, so, the green you know, it's important to know that we have more than two parties in this country. Uh-huh. And, you know, uh, the Democrats and Republicans get a lot of press, but there are many other parties the Libertarian Party, the Green Party. There's other parties as well. So, Thank you for, thank you for those few moments, but I still can't call up the guy's name. I'm terrible at names. Isn't that right, Frank? I mean, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Yeah, but we had, a, we had a great one there because you guys put it together. Mm-hmm. And also, as our moderator, we had uh, Francine. I can't remember her last name oh, either. she and I think she was from PCN, yeah. that, which was most interesting, that, that mm-hmm. they really uh, wanted to be there. We felt that they needed to be included and invited and were very happy to be there. And as we began, this particular woman from PCN said, can, can I do this? Can I get up and ask these questions? I'd really like to do that. Uh-huh. And that was, it's always nice when something occurs that's spontaneous and yet it feels like the right way to go. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what she did. I tell you, our, our friends at PCN, Pennsylvania Cable Network, they, they have been wonderful to us over the years. Yeah. In fact, they just celebrated their 40th anniversary a couple of months ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they invited me to their big gala thing. There were about Excellent. maybe 150 people there. So it wasn't a, oh, wasn't a mass invitation. And I was talking to uh, Brian... I can remember his last name either, <laughs> the CEO of PCN. He's about to retire. And I said, Brian, you know, how come I'm here? I'm looking at these luminaries and stuff. He says, Ken, you're as much a part of this family as all these other people. Because you and I, we go back. Because first time I was on PCN was back in 1997, yeah. you know, and what's that, over 20 years ago. Yeah. And every year, they keep inviting me back, not only as a candidate, but also just to right. discuss issues What's it like being a third-party candidate, running for office, things like that? PCN rocks. <laughs> Can't thank them enough. So there have been a lot of changes in the election laws. I mean, it used to, it was a lot worse in the old days. We, were, you know, we still had those bumps in the road, like the, this business with the, with the debates. But the, the ballot access laws, we constantly are challenging those. And you guys... We're just up there with, with one of the big ones recently. The big redistricting thing. Yes, that was fascinating. That mm-hmm. whole process was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I really had to wind up shaking my head about that. And for those who aren't aware of it, the legislature who have the authority to set these shape, size, and scope of election districts, they were dragging their feet. And when they did it, it was all gerrymandered. It was a mess. There were some districts that were like one street wide, and it went from this bunch of certain voters to this other bunch of certain voters. And the court stepped in and said, oh, no, this is where the league came in. You guys challenged it. Mm-hmm. We did. We we're very proud to do that. And I, I have to say even that term gerrymandering was a term that when I first became involved with the league, I had no idea what that was. What were <laughs> they talking about? Um, and I've certainly learned a whole lot about mm-hmm. that over the years and, and really didn't realize – actually uh, the subtle effort there is both parties historically in many states certainly have 
have managed to do that mm-hmm. at times. And uh, if somebody said to you, oh, look at this map, this map just doesn't look right, you, you, most people would say, well, it looks fine to me. What's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. So then you have to really take a little longer and look at that map. And eventually you realize, well, for heaven's sakes, there is such a pattern. And many states also have done that in the past. And if you look at their maps after a while, you realize you can read them. You mm-hmm. can see what's wrong with them. Yep. You know, there's an unintended consequence of that, too. And I was surprised when I first heard this. And you could see it now in our political process. If they draw the maps such that this district is all Democrat, that district is all Republican, they set it up a certain way just so that they're guaranteed to let that happen. But the result, unintended result, is that there are no longer any moderates. That's actually very interesting, too, because you don't realize that is what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the, the other consequence that obviously concerns us dramatically is what it does to those voters in the areas that have been gerrymandered. And when they realize, in a sense, they've either been isolated so that, or diluted to such a degree mm-hmm. that their vote doesn't count quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And we, as an organization, certainly want to be able to say every vote counts equally. I agree. Yeah. And the maps certainly throw mm-hmm. that off. Well, yeah. we appreciate what you've been doing with Delaware County. I'm a resident of Delaware County, and uh, I'm a member of one of those parties. I won't say which one, but it's not the majority one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, people who are not a member of the majority party, their vote feels like it doesn't count. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that, and the goal is to discourage – actually, there is another goal is to discourage – voters. And by discouraging voters, you weaken the um, the response so in such a way that the majority will always have their And have they their have stayed role. in office for year and year exactly. and decade after decade. Right. It's very, right. very difficult mm-hmm. for any, pro- any other party. Third party, second party, doesn't matter. Right. Very hard to break in. We prefer the term challenger parties. Challenger parties. Third party is kind like of demeaning. Right. Yeah. My yeah. guest today, Susan Carty, past president of the Pennsylvania League of Women Voters. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and you're listening to the Pennsylvania Project, episode 39. We'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, Pennsylvania at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267 8 we rock or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Karen Flam here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? 
If not, or even if they do, you might want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters International is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. (laughs) So turn your life around. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W, E, R, L, E, Y, dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagine you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866 383 6899. That's 866 383 6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities. LLC member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities LLC. There you go. Ken Crotchuk here again, and we're back with episode 39 of the Pennsylvania Project. And my guest, Susan Carty, still here, past president of the Pennsylvania League of Women Voters and current board member of the National League of Women Voters. Before the break, we were talking about the redistricting plan that you guys had, you girls, you folk, (laughs) had been working on. And I was really annoyed with the end of all that because in the end, the judges just said, the judge says, I'm going to draw my own map. He violated the law. He violated the Constitution because Article 7, Section 9, lays out how redistricting is done does not say judges can do it. So they violated the Constitution to do that. And that's law today, legislating from the bench. Well, that's an interesting interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they don't have the authority. You know, if you're at work and your job is to, I don't know, pay the bills and you decide you're gonna pay yourself an extra thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars, what would we do? We'd fire you, maybe even throw you in jail. 
I think he fired somebody. I think they fired somebody, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's the other one from the big pay raise. Is that what back in 2005, I guess it was? Yeah. PA Clean Sweep? I was yeah. a member of that. Oh. I helped train some of the candidates yes. in that. Yep. Remember that, too. That was a good one. Right. The people rose up against their judges. They did. You know, that's one reason why I like the idea of electing judges here in Pennsylvania. Oh, yes, I do, too. I, I do, too. I, I, I have been a member of the um, uh, organization that is for uh, appointing judges, though, but only only higher higher levels, not your local judges, uh-huh. Pennsylvanians for Modern Courts. And they have a whole different different approach and philosophy and understanding research and so on as to why that is not necessarily a bad idea. Because uh-huh. um, most of the time, nobody know you don't know you know your local candidates, mm-hmm. pretty much. So you feel more confident choosing them. But when you look at your higher level judges, you you go party line. Uh-huh. Uh, you go pretty much what somebody might tell you to do because you go, I don't know who they are. Yeah, but you know when it's when it really matters, like it did in two thousand five when we can to Supreme Court justice, it certainly makes it worthwhile. And besides, I have qualms about letting lawyers choose who the judges are. I mean, I already did a whole a whole show on the shortcomings of our legal system. And they're much too insular. They're much too expensive. It's much too complex. They've made it, they've taken away the law out of the hands of regular people. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting me started. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's all right. I don't disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> and it takes a lot to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Like there was just some changes made to the election laws. There were, by golly. <laughs> a couple of good ones. And one that I really liked when I saw the change, they got rid of straight party voting in Pennsylvania. Fascinating. Yes, yes, and I, I found it fascinating, too, because at first read or whatever you think, well, why would they do that? What's the point? Who wins? Who loses? What's wrong with the whole process? And um, uh, I think there's still a lot of debate going on as to who likes it and who doesn't like it and who cares for it, who doesn't. Um, but uh, more than anything, my sense is that it's certainly – was an easy process for people to do if they wanted to vote. Oh, I'll just vote party, boom, go in there. But what happens is when you do that, you personally don't really know what you're voting for as you go down ballot, especially closer and closer to to home. Um, And the opportunity to choose closer to home actually affects your life Mm -hmm. more. It makes you think about it for a couple of seconds at least. Instead of just hitting one button, you actually have to read the list and make a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that choice is, I wouldn't call it random, let's just call it pseudo-random because we found, I mean, I've done extensive study of election results. Obviously, I've run for high office several times. And I found that all things equal, a woman gets more votes than a man. I've heard that. And it's it's true. That's because... If somebody goes in and doesn't know anything about anybody, yeah. the wo- a woman is more likely to vote for the woman, and a man is more likely to vote for the man. That's fascinating. And I just see it <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, it, it works with ethnic names. Like my last name, Krawchuk. It's a Ukrainian name. It means Taylor. I ran for Congress in 2000, and I did, I did poorly, mm-hmm. except 
in a Ukrainian neighborhood. In that Ukrainian neighborhood, I got 32% of the vote. Right? Fascinating. And they recognize the name. They, they yeah. know the name. Mm-hmm. Kravchuk. <laughs> they know who I am. So it's funny when people look at those names. So do you think it's going to make a, a real difference, no straight party voting? Um, that's a good question. I, I think I think uh, straight party voting, uh, I think statistically, has a lot more room for error, if you want to call that <laughs> error, uh, in the sense that you really don't know what you've just done particularly. Uh-huh. And many voters, sadly, vote that way anyway, and they don't know what they've done, mm-hmm. actually. But if you if you have to choose one by one, you just may think a little bit more, a little mm-hmm. more time, recognize names that you didn't know were on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you also, certainly, a other factor with that is the position on the ballot. Yes. Con- together. Mm-hmm. Really does have an impact. Mm-hmm. Especially in the, on the cluttered ballots like Philadelphia City Council or something like that. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. <laughs> So, but that was one thing that changed in the law. No more straight party voting. And they did a bunch of little things. And, you know, we've, we've done court cases over the years where we've filed lawsuits, and we've gotten little changes that nobody hears about, nobody cares about. Mm-hmm. Like our petitions used to be, have to be notarized, each petition. And when you're running for a high office, when I ran for governor, I turned in 917 separate petitions. That's 917 notarizations. Do you know how much a notarization costs? Oh, I used to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do the math. Yeah, it's three to five dollars, but still it adds up. Yeah, when you're doing nine hundred and seventy. Nine hundred of them, yeah. yeah. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> so we got rid of that. We're allowed to have out of state circulators, people who are not from Pennsylvania. That's only a recent court case that we won. Mm-hmm. A bunch of other little things. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Oh. Well, some well, people feel it might not be. It de- or it depends circumstantial. Who, who are you bringing in? Right, true. Well, do you know, as part of my rant, I'm going to talk about the inequality of the signature requirements. So they put these incredible signature requirements upon us that it's next to impossible for a single individual to do it. That I've seen. So we need to bring people in from out of state because there aren't enough Pennsylvanians ah, to do this. Right. Okay, I'm getting it now. So otherwise, because it's just another way to keep competition off the ballot. I do know my husband ran for school board and again he was not a member of the majority party and there were a lot of unwritten and not so obvious challenges that you know having having these opportunities would be. I know I've I've had to live it. Like I said I I taught the PA clean sweep course on how to get on the ballot because one little thing wrong and it's over. (laughs) It's over. 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 Oh man. (laughs) Have your dog sign it. <laughs> <laughs> and there are always ones like Mickey Mouse. People sign Bill Clinton and things like that. It's pretty funny. So another thing I like in that new law, you can – no excuse, mail-in voting. That's that's big. That's huge. It, it, it really, really is. And uh, what and does that mean? Well, it, it used to be that you, if you wanted to use that form of, of voting, you had to have a health issue that was – verified by your physician who had to also have his name on that paper Hmm. um, or you were out of town for work there were very limited excuses that you could use so either people had to fake it ignore it and just fill a form out and, and but what we learned through the league right away with that excuse needing an excuse was that 
the elderly, particularly in living in facilities or 55-plus communities, which is a lot younger than I am, um, began to feel that uh, they couldn't actually vote because if they didn't want to put down what was wrong with them physically. Interesting. Mm. Personal invasion. They didn't want that disclosure. And some would not vote for that, which I'd, you know, we didn't realize until we started going to visit well, then that is great. That yep. is a, a great thing. I do know uh, my parents, uh, they're not anymore. They're full-time Pennsylvania res- residents now, but for many years were snowbirds, and they would fill out their absentee ballot application, and they were, were all big voters. Right. right. But, uh, but it was an extra pain in the butt for them to go through. Mm-hmm. Susan, I can't believe it. We were running out of time already. I know it's it's always so much so fun, much. <laughs> and it goes fast. There's a whole lot more we can cover. That's great, Very but good is there anything you want to get in that we haven't mentioned yet? Something you think is important? Websites send people to? Oh, websites that will give you more information about the organization. Sure, the national organization is lwvus.org, and the state organization is palwv.org, and um, you can certainly feel free to communicate via email or phone or however you want to. Uh, communicate to find out how you learn more about candidates and issues and educate yourself as much as possible and do not be um, discouraged from voting it's not always a happy choice it's not always somebody you think is wonderful but you must make a choice and make an educated choice and act upon that Mm -hmm. and I have to thank you personally from the bottom of my heart for all the good that you you and your fellow league people have done for Libertarian Party over the years and me personally over the years. I was actually a member for a while back in the in the 80s before I was a libertarian. I was looking for any organization because I knew I wasn't a member of the two old parties. It's as important as your driver's license. More important. <laughs> Don't talk to me about driver's licenses. I, I had a show dedicated to that one too. Thanks again, Susan. And that's going to have to wrap it up for the them portion of the show. My thanks one more time. Susan Cardi of the League of Women Voters for appearing on the show. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw and a good follow-on to our discussion, Pennsylvania's horrendous ballot access laws. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Me? Could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, local taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment. That got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. Excuse me. And when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendmentsixteen.com. One call does it all. You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. 
Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the March Toward Liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Are you spending too much time of your business day answering the phone? Maybe you need your phones answered after hours, on weekends, or holidays. America's Call Center is the number one professional inbound customer service call center in the nation, serving a wide variety of clients, including medical, retail, marketing, and service companies. Better yet, all our agents are America-based and speak American English. Why hire more staff or overwork the staff you have? America's Call Center is the professional solution. America's Call Center operates 24 by 7 by 365 and has been the trusted provider for over 30 years. So get off the phone and contact them at americascallcenter.us. That's americascallcenter.us. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 39 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant for a bit about something that really sticks in my craw, specifically Pennsylvania's horrendous ballot access laws. And am I exaggerating, you think, when I say horrendous? Well, judge for yourself. And, but to judge properly, let me start with the ultimate authority when it comes to Pennsylvania law, the Pennsylvania Constitution. Article 5 says it all, quote, all elections shall be free and equal. Yeah, right. Not by any stretch of the imagination, unless you're a very imaginative Democrat or a Republican in Pennsylvania. I say that because they have perverted our election laws so badly that it would be laughable if it wasn't lamentable. Let me give you some examples. When I ran in for governor in 2002, I needed 21,027 signatures from registered voters to get my name on the ballot. 21,000. Do you know how many Ed Rendell needed? 2,000. How is it that I need more than 10 times as many signatures to get on the ballot than the two old party candidates when the Constitution plainly says equal? Do you know how it's possible? Because the two old parties said so. That's why. Because some people are more equal than others. Worse yet, it's not the same equal from year to year. It's based on this complex formula. According to the law... The number of signatures is, quote, at least equal to 2% of the largest entire vote cast for any officer elected at the last preceding election in said electoral district, unquote. Got it? <laughs> sure you do. No, you don't. I have to read it a dozen times to figure it out. Let me simplify it. In 2004, Bob Casey received 3.3 million votes for state treasurer. Do the math. 2% of that? is 67,070. That means in 2006, we libertarians, other third parties and independents needed to collect 67,000 signatures minimum to get on the statewide ballot. 67,000. And Bob Casey needed 2,000. Why do we need to get over 33 times as many signatures to get on the ballot? 
because they said so. That's why, despite the fact that the Pennsylvania Constitution says, quote, all elections shall be free and equal, unquote. Well, that kind of math can't stand. So we third parties and independents in Pennsylvania decided to make a federal case out of it. We brought suit against the Commonwealth, demanding that they honor our Constitution and make the signature counts equal. That case was heard by Justice John E. Jones III, the same judge who ruled against teaching intelligent design creationism in government schools, if you recall that. Well, in our case, his verdict was anything but intelligent. He ruled that 67,000 is equal to 2,000, and the state has a right to prevent ballot clutter by requiring so many signatures. Yeah, right, ballot clutter. As if we don't need more people. Of course, we appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, United States, but they refused to hear the case. I'm not surprised because I have long since lost faith in our judicial system, and this is only one more example. If Judge Jones thinks he can limit the number of third-party candidates in the general election because he makes up this term called ballot clutter, well, why doesn't he limit the number of candidates in the primaries? Why do they want to stop people from running for office? I think we should expand voter choices, not restrict them. But with that flawed decision, equal elections in Pennsylvania, it's just another nail in the coffin. Definitely sad day in Pennsylvania. According to Richard Winger, editor of the National Ballot Access News, in 2006, that same year, Pennsylvania was, the only, was one of only two states in the nation with a Democratic-Republican monopoly on the statewide ballot. And the other was Alabama, in case you were wondering, comparing Pennsylvania to Alabama. <laughs> now wait, it gets worse. Carl Romanelli, green guy who ran for U.S. Senate that year, he collected 98,500 signatures. <laughs> A record for Pennsylvania blew away Peg Luxick's 78,000. But they challenged his petitions, kicked him off the ballot, and they fined him $80,000 for the temerity of trying to run for public office. Scary. There's a lot more to that story. And the rest of Carl's story and other extortions is at the end of episode 15. Check it out if you have the stomach for it. But for now, let's fast forward 10 years to 2016 where we filed suit again, not only against the insane signature requirements, but also against the extortion fines, and we won. Federal Judge Stengel ruled the fines unconstitutional and the signature requirements too high, and he legislated from the bench. Oh, man. <laughs> he reduced it to only 5,000, which is a lot better than 67,000, a mere 2.5 times what the two old parties need, even though Article One, Section 5 says all elections shall be equal. But it didn't lower the signature requirements for any other office except statewide. So except for state rep, it's still two, three, four, five times what the two old parties need. Still, regardless, thank you, Judge Stengel. To quote Shakespeare, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And it was that court victory that cleared the path for me to run for governor in 2018, by the way, where I set records for the Libertarian Party. 20% more votes than any libertarian governor candidate in Pennsylvania history. There you go. So, these and the R's cause rude names. They pass unconstitutional laws, give us bogus arguments. They perform economic extortion. I keep wondering, what are they afraid of? I mean, why would anybody try and keep somebody off the ballot? If you're trying to keep somebody off, if they're trying to keep somebody off the ballot, that's the very person I would like to see on the ballot. The obvious observation is they are afraid of the competition. 
But you know, it might be something deeper than that. And this ties with what I was talking about with our guest, the League of Women Voters. To quote a co-plaintiff on our lawsuit, John Murphy, who was a Naderite, by the way, he said, quote, there are two ways to defeat democracy. One is to prevent citizens from voting, and the other is by preventing worthy candidates from appearing on the ballot. Too true, John. And to quote the lyrics from Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young, in a land that's known for freedom, how can such a thing be fair? And people ask me, why do I get involved in politics? How can I not get involved? How can I just stand by? To quote Howard Beale from the movie Network, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> and on that quoteful note, that's going to have to wrap it up for ex- episode 39 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about the PALCB? Can you define conservative or liberal in a single sentence? Do you think elections shouldn't be free and equal? If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition, that is. And you can hear us there, too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 8.60 a.m. on the a.m. dial every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley. Our marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Featured Toastmaster narrator is Kevin Keita. Featured Toastmaster cohort is distinguished Toastmaster Karen Flam. Keyboard wizard in the background there is Joe the Pag. Radio producer is Brett Kronberger behind the glass. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.